Hello, and welcome back to Vagabond Actors, where we talk about acting and training and being on the job and all things related to acting. As always, I am joined by my fellow actors and acting coaches, Andrea Helene, who's joining us from Mallorca, Spain. Hello, Andrea. Hello, Brian. Hola. How are you doing? I am doing just fine. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> And my other co-host is, as always, from London. You know him, you love him, Gary Condex. How are you, Gary? Greetings. That's the bubbly spirit that I love. Uh, I love it. It I feel like I'm in the theater. There you go. And I am Brian Casp, and I am in Prague, and I just wanted to check in with you guys. How are you doing? Uh, what is going on in your artistry? Have you had experiences in the past week that have informed you or uh, enriched you or kicked you in the butt or something like that? So, Andrea, what have you had any artistic experiences in the past week that you might have gone, oh, yeah. Um, so we're we're taping this in the first week of June when there's riots going on in the U.S. And um, I have to say my artistic inclinations have been really focused in that direction, really a lot of thoughts about how we respond, what our role is as performers, as mm -hmm. teachers during these times. I did get to see the result of one of the virtual choirs that I did based out of Germany, and that was a lot of fun. Um, but in terms of artistic endeavors, it's a bit like survival mode. Like I'm really, I'm really all eyes on the world around me and a lot of thoughts about where we are and what our place is in this and what our responsibilities are. And I know we'll talk about some more of that tonight with our main topic, but that's where, that's where I've been. Mm -hmm. That's where I've been. Yeah. How about you, Gary? Um, yeah, I, I suppose what I have been doing this last week since we last recorded, doing classes online, but also coaching, and in particular, a client of mine who is actually working a lot and doing lots of sort of independent movies in Europe and mm. the, the odd big movie. And during this time where she isn't working, she's taking the time to reevaluate things and, f and, and trying to actually get better. It's funny because as actors, we hate it when we're not working. And then when you are working, uh, either on a regular show or back to back on films, you come out the other end when you are working back to back and you're feeling... I'm feeling a bit dead. I'm feeling like I'm churning the same thing out. I'm feeling like I'm not getting back to ground zero and, and creating again. So I'm working with her a lot on just stripping everything back to basics. And that's making me have to reevaluate what I teach because she really does want it. She wants it so uncomplicated because she has years of experience behind her and years of training that it's about revisiting it, but in a more distilled boiled down form mm. and the way yeah. I'm teaching her. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting in that sense because I'm getting right to the essence of things. Yeah. Uh, here I had a business training session with some executives and it was very interesting because every single executive wanted to shake my hand. Hmm. Really? <laughs> and I was like, what? Yeah. Every single one, they shook each other's hands. And I thought, is it, did it, is it willful that we just don't want to remember that we are in the middle of a pandemic? Or is it just so ingrained, the training of, I have to shake this person's hand, and that's what it means to make a good greeting? I don't know. It was very strange, though. People, I think people really don't want to be in the position of, of being locked down and being and wearing face masks and... Uh, you know, obviously, they, it's not rocket science to, to say that, but I think be, as you, as I've spent a lot of time in my little bubble here of mostly being with masks and mostly being at home and in my own classroom, where where that's where social distancing is enforced fairly stringently, to go into a situation where people really did, were just not doing it mm -hmm. was strange. So that was that. Yeah, interesting. Um, you, you just can't beat human contact, can you? It's, it's yeah. people are itching. No. Mm -hmm. You you want to reach out. You want to reach out. Mm. 
And it's hard when you cannot. Yeah. Hmm. And we've been starved of it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And when you have just a little bit of room to respond to, you know, what we call normalcy, um, it's when you start to feel more relaxed, it's really easy to just fall back into your old behavioral patterns, you know, and then suddenly you're like, right. You, you want it so Yeah, badly. you want it so badly. It's so ingrained in us, right? It's so habitual yeah. to connect with somebody a certain way. And suddenly they're in front of us. And that's, of course, we extend our hand, right? And then after the fact, you go, oh, wait, yeah. are we not supposed to do any that anymore? But uh, it's certainly an interesting yeah. behavioral study for an actor to take in right now as people are challenged with their behavioral norms and and how they judge one another's behavior differently. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we normally <laughs> we kind of go out on a on a little fun note or a laughing note. Uh, I don't know if we have that this week, <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Uh, This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner, and if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters your audition, and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put Vagabond25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. Hello guys, this is Caesar here and I would like to ask if you guys could talk to us a little bit more about emotional preparation. I did some great workshops with Gary and it gave me an insight towards it but i don't fully understand it yet and i think that most people out there neither so it would be really good if you guys could discuss it thank you very much and i look forward to hearing about it ciao so emotional preparation is the term that's often used as we discuss how you stimulate your emotions, your emotional life in order to meet the challenge of the scene that you're about to live out. And there are a number of different ways in which we go about doing this. And when we talk about method acting, certainly in the US and the UK, this aspect of emotional preparation is very much a key component to various methodologies. So we'll try and speak a little bit from our own perspectives and our own teachings and offer some tips for doing this and some understanding about why it's needed and when it's needed and hope to demystify it for you and get you excited about the possibilities that lie within when you explore your imagination and rev up in a safe way your emotional engines. So Mm. let's talk about, first of all, when emotional preparation is needed. First of all, when do you see your students ready to take on the learning of the skills of emotional preparation? And when is it required of an actor to have that skill set? Well, in Meisner circles, those of you may know, it's referred to as emotional preparation. Other people refer to this element of acting technique as the moment before. I myself like to refer to it as preceding circumstances or pre-circumstances, which is a little bit shorter. So there's a lot of jargon in relation to a certain part of uh, acting technique which takes care of how an actor is emotionally before they come into a scene. And the first part of this question is, when is an actor ready to take that on board? 
Well, for me, it's whenever the actor is working on a scene. So in one sense, it's if I'm working on a scene with an actor, that is one element that you cannot leave out. So regardless of their training or where they're at in their development as an actor, if they come to me and are working on a scene, say in private coaching, then it will be an element that I address. If it's uh, a certain training program, even though I'm not so much doing that anymore in my courses, I can refer back to how I was taught it. And I suppose it's not too soon because it's a very tricky thing. But when I actually use it myself or when I teach it myself, and that is when I work with an actor on a scene, it is one of the early questions that need to be answered. A scene always sits on preceding circumstances. So one has to look at where the character has been before the scene starts, where they have just come from physically and what has happened to them. And you have to identify that in emotional terms. What you then have to do is bring yourself emotionally to this situation. The answer is always emotionally. When I ask an actor, where have you just been before the scene starts and what has happened to you? And they say, I've been to the supermarket. I go wrong. I want an emotional answer. And they go, okay, I've been to the supermarket. I got mugged. I feel really upset. I'm going, that's an answer. So it's always emotional in terms of where you've come from. And then use what we widely term as emotional preparation to get you there, to enliven that imaginary circumstance for the character, for the scene, for the story, for oneself. And it's a tool that brings you the actor and connects you the actor in a very personal way to uh, the preceding circumstances, as I say. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that is dead on. Just to elaborate a little bit on why in, especially in the Meisner technique, which is what I'm most familiar with, that element comes later on in the process. Because it is something that is more internally focused, and so many people come to the work trying to make something happen, trying to get something going, and you spend so much time training how to allow the external behavior, the external circumstances to affect you and to let out how it affects you back out into the world, that you really want to have that solid. And you can get a lot out of that, just that, without needing to try to make something else happen. And with the earlier Meisner techniques, because there isn't a scene, the moment before is just what is happening before you start working. There isn't any imaginary moments that you need to get to. When you start working with text, and to a certain extent, when you start working on more advanced improvisations where you would be benefiting by coming in more full emotionally, then it's going to be more important to bring yourself into a place that is roughly in line. When when we were studying it at Playhouse West, it was it was bring yourself into the ballpark. You don't have to be in a specific seat in the ballpark, but just kind of generally, if, if it's upset, then get yourself upset. You might eventually start aiming for a very specific type of emotion, but it's enough, especially at the beginning, to, to just bring yourself into the ballpark of where that emotion is. Like every other element of preparation, script analysis, what kind of objectives you might have, or the circumstances of the scene, or anything like that, the emotional preparation cannot be held onto while you're doing the scene, which is another thing that students who are earlier into the work tend to do is they tend to hold on to things because they don't trust that it will be there. And so an emotional preparation should be about what happened right before. And then once you get into whatever you're doing, let go of it and see where the text and the scene take you. I would just add, you know, that it's a tool. I choose to, in my own work and in our teaching, to really instruct that this is a tool. And you may not need to pull out the hammer for every single scene that you do. Sometimes you just need a tiny little Phillips screwdriver. Uh, Something is in you, you have an understanding of a scene and how you come to it today, Tuesday, uh, you know with your understanding that you can just move into this so gently and you're right where you need to be. 
And there are other times when you need to stir your emotional cauldron and move yourself into the field of a certain kind of emotional life. Sometimes there's not a first moment in a scene. And and you, as Gary said, you know, you're always coming from somewhere else. There's always some sort of pre-circumstance, certainly in life. And so we're always bringing some awareness, some ideas into that first moment of a scene. And as we're always seeking truthful behavior, we have to consider how do we generate a truthful inner life? Once we're in the scene, there are so many ways that we can allow our emotions to be played by listening, reacting with our other person, the the movement, the arc of the scene, the, the experience of the scene. But sometimes to get into that space to begin with, an actor needs to generate an emotional life in order to enter it really truthfully and on fire in the right ways. So I would urge actors to understand that this is really a tool that we're talking about in your hopefully vast tool belt. And it doesn't replace your understanding of the scene. Gary said initially when I asked, when do you need this? Always. You always need an an emotional understanding. And sometimes you need to spend some time daydreaming or taking some skills to generate that emotional life. So let's talk about, as much as you can, how you help students prepare themselves for the practice of preparing themselves emotionally, um, how you walk them through daydreaming or journaling or what it is. What are the kind of tools that you like to use to help actors explore the emotional life and to put together a set of skills for their work? Well, the first thing I would do is invite them before you even get to any sort of technicalities is to really start to look at their personal relationships and their dreams and their desires and what moves them and to start to get really personal with what will be their material for a lot of their acting, but very particularly this element of of emotionally stimulating oneself consciously. And, you know, asking them, who do you love and who do you hate and what makes you sad and angry and happy and scared and what is it that you desire and dream and wish for and start to get into what I call living truthful roots, yeah. roots that are true to you and you are connected to without even thinking about so that you can start to then use imagination on top of that. And it's very important to start to get people to think about what matters to you right now, not what happened to you in the past. That's a, that's dead. The past is dead. What matters to you right now is alive. It matters to you now. So I'd get these actors to start to look at what they would like in their lives and dreams and desires and, you know, and ask them, start to get them to think in these terms. What would someone need to do to make you raging with anger today? Or what would be the most joyous situation in your life today? Or what would be, inverted commas, would be the most upsetting news to receive today? Rather than, when in my life have I been upset? When in my life have I been joyous? When in my life have I been angry? And I start there um, to invite them to start to get the juices flowing. Um, and then inevitably they fuck up. And then I start to use some technical <laughs> technical <laughs> things that uh, will maybe guide them more specifically through what they're doing internally. And let's just say, you know, and then you, you've mentioned it, Brian, and it's it's very important that this part of any training, I believe, and technique and tool, as you mentioned, Andrea, this is one of the trickiest tools in the in the actor's toolbox, I think, because it's so personal that there isn't necessarily one way of doing, but there are certainly very helpful guidelines and principles, which I'm going to let Brian expand on. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, thank that you so was much. a very smooth <laughs> handoff. Um, <laughs> For me, the process, and this is one specific way of doing it, but let's say you've had a, a, a shitty day and you need to come in and, and you need to come in as if you've won the lottery, right? So in order to get to zero, it might 
require to relax and just to kind of let go more and try and feel like you are in a more meditative state and to just take some time and focus on your breathing and to get get centered in the moment, in the breath. And then once you've become centered or you feel like you're ready to start doing this, then I would start to, Andrea, you mentioned this, daydream or to start to have some kind of fantasy about something, Gary mentioned this part, which is something that you actually care about. And that thing is personal. It's something that you shouldn't feel like you have to tell anyone. In fact, maybe you shouldn't tell anyone what it is because that thing might be so personal that it is not socially acceptable to have that fantasy. Uh, it could be, you know, it, it could be something that would be shameful if you said it out loud. And so you need to take that burden away from yourself of needing to tell the other actor or the teacher or the director what it was you're preparing with, what your fantasy is. You don't need to. In fact, when I was at Playhouse West and what I tell students now is if someone asks you, oh my God, that was such a strong emotional thing that you came in with, uh, what were you using as your preparation? And you just say, oh, I'm just talented. That's all. I just have talent. You know, I'm just good. That's so just, you Mind your own beeswax. Basically, because it is private and it is in a way it's sacred because this is your yes. bit of gold. And so to start to engage in an active daydream or fantasy that involves this thing that you truly care about, but that is treated with an imaginary veneer. So you take this thing that you care about and you stress it emotionally in the way that you feel is going to evoke a certain emotion within you. And it's using your imagination. And so once you let go of it, it's not going to be your real life. And the other part of that daydream and the, the more, maybe a more technical part is that the more you can put yourself into the daydream, so not watching it as if you're watching a movie of your life, but you are actually living the life and to involve as many senses as you can. So involving what does it taste like? What does it smell like? What does it feel to stroke that person's hair? What kind of fabric are they wearing? So that you can really delve into that fantasy and really allow it to be there. And then giving yourself permission to feel the emotions that are coming up and to let them be there and to not feel like, oh, I have to put these away because these are not appropriate for whatever social situation you might be imagining yourself to, to face. To really go there and to, and, and to have that be part of the fantasy, which is I get to feel these emotions. Technically, that's what I would probably recommend as a place to start, but really in a practical way, it's whatever gets you going. If a piece of music is what's going to do it for you, great. Use the piece of music. If trying to, you know, pull a stairwell off the building, like a, like a fire escape stairwell off the building is going to do it for you, then do that. If, if doing 10 jumping jacks is going to get your heart pumping, then do that, right? There's there's no one true answer to solving this problem. And what is a really healthy way to go about it is to do a lot of exercises and to experiment with how much you need to relax, how much you need to fantasize, what kinds of tactile or sensory elements do you need to put into your preparation in, in order to get you really going, which kinds of imaginary preparations will evoke which kind of emotions in you and which kind of truthful roots will, will be easier or harder to, to get to whatever emotional ballpark you want to end up in. And also which emotional preparations are going to be easier and harder to let go of once you start to get into the scene. Because you really, once you get into the scene, the track of the words and the other person's behavior and what's happening around you will pick you up and move you somewhere that may not be where your emotional preparation is. And if you're trying to hold on to it saying, no, I'm supposed to be sad in this scene, but actually what's happening is you're getting ang angry, that may go to you not having done as much analysis in terms of knowing what the meaning of all the things are that are going on in the scene. So that's hitting you and you're getting angry about it. But if that's what's happening in the moment, then I would say, go with that. Let that be there. And then, and then maybe the sadness will come back, but you can't hold on to any emotional response. So what we're talking about is, is recognizing when you may need 
to call upon a very personal tool to prepare yourself to enter into a scene, right? And stimulate your imagination and then then your body uh, because the body doesn't know the difference, right? As you daydream, we, we know this, we dream at night and the body has a physical response to it, right? So you put yourself in a space of daydreaming and imagination and that comes derives out of an understanding of the scene or maybe you've created what we call an as if an understanding of a similar kind of situation that you're about to enter that is personal to you and then you have to go about it in such a way that you achieve a state of fullness and receptivity so you move then from this emotionally alive state into your scene. And then it's critical that you understand the importance of letting it all go, riding on it, but not choreographing based on the emotional preparation that you've come in with. Then in that first moment of the scene, you have to be present in the scene. You have to be present to your acting partner and you have to let yourself be surprised and changed and moved, right? But you've come in awake. You've come in with energy emotionally and you've come in eager to engage in some sort of way. And the really important thing is you're, you're talking about this, Brian, is to then be willing to release that and see, see where it takes you. And, and I do think, you know, just to the point of what we see in the classroom, we do often see that as students are learning the emotional work, um, sometimes, you know, it's about being encouraged to go further and to go deeper into the work. And sometimes it's really about, don't be afraid to let go of it. And if it really is mm -hmm. truthful and it really has gotten you, you feel it in your belly and you've, you've touched into something in your daydream or in your approach that's, that's brought you to life. It won't let go of you. You let go of it and don't come into the scene trying to play and show how extraordinary your emotional preparation was. Instead, you come into the scene ready to engage and to explore. And if you've touched upon something that's powerful, it, it'll, it will remain with you. And this is an act of faith. It will not let go of you. And I think sometimes our students, I, they want to hold on to it and nurture it. They're like, oh, my God, I've just had the most incredible preparation backstage. And I've never gotten this deep into this emotional ballpark. And I'm just going to, you know, chew it up. But that's not the work either. It's just setting yourself to enter into that scene in an alive, truthful way. You cannot hold on to it. Then it defeats the purpose. It's called preparation. Yeah. yeah. As Gary was saying, as you have a text of a scene to prepare for, sometimes it will be really clear what happened right before, and sometimes it won't mm -hmm. be as clear what happened right before. Mm -hmm. But it can be interesting to experiment with preparing for the opposite of what you think you should be preparing for and seeing how that works you know, and seeing how that affects the rest of the scene. And, but it's, it's really good practice to not just kind of go, well, I just need to enter fully and it doesn't really matter what I enter with, but I'm just going to come in full because that's something. But to really know for this scene to work based on where I'm coming in, I need to be in this particular ballpark. Mm -hmm. And that's down to how you analyze the text, mm -hmm. how closely you look at it. And it's down to just doing it enough so that you know this kind of preparation will lead me into this place. Mm -hmm. And not because you're forcing it to be there, but because you, you've you done it enough so that you know, aha, this is how this preparation 
affects me and makes me open or closes me up or makes me vulnerable or whatever. Right. So, you know, on that note, the idea of of playing opposites, this is also an an important point. I know we've spoken about this uh, in other episodes, but you know, you can sometimes, sometimes we're, we're so focused on what we, what we think the result of the work needs to be in the scene. And we think we know where it needs to go. And Mm -hmm. so we want to, put ourselves right on that train track. And I have found that sometimes the train <laughs> stalls, <laughs> you, get, you know? You yeah. Goes. Because you're so, you know, the, the despair or the disappointment or the break that's going to happen in the scene and you can't really disassociate it and you just want to be so full. So you'll experience it fully. I remember working on a, on a feature film and, and I was coming into a scene and I had to give my husband some bad news, but I didn't want to, this was the, this was the thing I needed to remember. I didn't want to, I wanted him to not know my news, but I knew in terms of the overall arc of the piece that this is when, this is when a major shift happened in our relationship because he saw in my behavior that I had bad news. So I felt that it needed to be in my behavior as I was preparing for the scene. And we shot it a number of times and I was never really satisfied with how it went. And the minute we said, okay, let's move on. It came to me. And I was so upset. And I said, how is it that you didn't see this, Andrea? You should have absolutely prepared to be on top of the world because what you came in with the intention to do was to not show him how you felt. So why on earth, why on earth did you feel like you needed to prepare for something in the story, an idea of the story? No, you needed to come home and act like you just had the best day ever and trust that it's somewhere because you know how you feel about all of this. It would have been there. He would have found it and it's in the script and it'll all rise up out of you somehow. But why didn't you just simply prepare to act like you'd had a great day at work? You know, it was so simple and and this was after years of teaching. I mean, it, it still, it still can really trip you up. So that's why I want to, I want to really be clear that this is something that you have to, you know, sometimes it's a really fine paintbrush with your work, uh, this preparation. And sometimes it's just a big swath of paint that you got to glop out there, but you, you have to, you have to understand when and how to use it for it to really be effective and to serve you in the work. It's very tricky. And I mean, it's the one element that actors who are in training and who I teach in class struggle with the most. Mm -hmm. It's so result orientated. Mm -hmm. You know, I am consciously stimulating myself to get Mm -hmm. here. And I try and find ways of helping them. And it's funny because, as you mentioned earlier, Brian, there's different ways and whatever works for you. And you've got to spend a lot of time finding out what does work for you in trial and error. And that's why classes are great. And that's why, you know, you're abandoning yourself to it and develop your imagination, but also develop your core truths in life and, and all the rest of it. But one thing I find really works, and you've mentioned it, Brian, is the senses. And the funny thing is, is, you know, this whole debate, Meisner method, Adler, this, that, the other. I mean, but if one technique was it, then no one else who does any other techniques yeah. would be working. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's going to work for you. Exactly. But, you know, people, perhaps actors who have not necessarily understood the utility of certain tools and, and you know, it's like, well, isn't that, that's method. That's, that's method. Using your senses is method. Well, no, it's, there's an exercise called sense memory. And yes, that is very much part of, Strasbourg's method, but it's not mutually exclusive. And it's, it's yeah, Strasbourg doesn't have the monopoly on using your senses. No, and, and neither does anyone else. And, and no. is, that's how we experience the world. And for me, it's been a very successful tool and guide to get people involved in their daydream or fantasy or imaginary circumstance, whatever you want to call it, through their senses. Mm-hmm. It helps to make it more personal. Absolutely. Because if you, if you if you're watching it like it's a movie, then there's a distance there. You won't be as close to it. 
You just won't. Absolutely. And your senses are stimulus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stimulate exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. in everyday life. So why wouldn't they in exercise? You're just doing it on purpose, you know. And going back to what you said, uh, Andrea, is actually there's been a study, a scientific study, which has proved that the brain does not know mm-hmm. whether it is actually really happening, the death of your mother, yes. or you're imagining the death of your so the actual things that are happening in your brain cannot tell the difference as long as it's stimulated in in the same way so a great example of that which is just it's just imagine not even imagine but all of your worries and your hopes i'm going to get that part i'm going to lose my job if i come in late i'm going to do this or that in the future all of that is fantasy Mm -hmm. right all of that is fantasy and we get emotionally tied up in that all mm-hmm. the time. Right, mm-hmm. right. It's as simple as, did I leave the, the oven mm-hmm. on? Right, it's worry. You know, if you, you yeah, you, you're going to get emotionally prepared thinking about whether you left the oven on. Mm-hmm. Be, and it's a fantasy. Right. Until you really know whether it's happened or not, it's a fantasy. Right. And okay. so, so you can, and you can target that. Absolutely. And we're just doing it on purpose. Yeah. You know. Exactly. <laughs> And I find, you know, everything is weird. It is, and, and <laughs> the sense is really, the sense is really cut to the chase. Whether you're using your mind's eye image, your mind's ear, hearing someone smell, like you say. So I find that very useful. So anyone who's getting involved with a daydream is perhaps involve it through the senses. Maybe yeah. if you're going to kill your mother off who needs to be alive, because otherwise that would just be fantasy and mental illness, then you got to have someone who's alive you got to kill off that you love. And perhaps before you even do that, before you even start killing them off, just get a sense of who they are through your senses, whether it's smell. And that these, you know, they cut to the chase, don't they? I mean, we can remember songs from our past, girlfriend's perfume, you know, boyfriend's aftershave from the past, and that does exist. So it's not exclusive to any particular technique. It's a universal human law, and it works. Um, But going on to something else, whatever works. I mean, I heard, and this is very interesting, because I saw an interview with Sam Rockwell, and this is kind of surprising because... He said, when I said I needed to get pretty angry in this film and I had to smash up a few chairs before I, I, I got in front of the camera. I had to find a place, get some old chairs. I got them to buy me some old chairs and I had to smash that, those chairs up because I'm not one that is very easily inflamed like that. I mean, you know, I, on the other hand, coming from a Spanish background, don't need to smash chairs at mm-hmm. all. I just, you know, imagine my paella is not sitting in front of me at dinner time and, you know, I'm <laughs> off. But anyway. <laughs> But um, so but this is someone who is a Meisner trained actor, who is not using his imagination. He's actually using a physical stimulus, which is you were referring to in terms of trying to rip uh, a stairwell off the wall that is embedded in concrete, which can do something for you. Mm-hmm. But isn't that interesting? He's not using his imagination in that instance. He might for other reasons. I'm sure he does, but he's not. He had to smash up some chairs to get to get the physical effect of that going outside in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a case of whatever works. Now, the thing is, what if there are no chairs? What if your um, iPhone or your phone has kind of lost its battery and you can't get access to your music? Then you can only go internally, can't you? So it's kind yeah. of useful to to develop that ability and not rely on external stuff. Yeah. I also wanted to talk a little bit about the practicalities of doing mm-hmm, this on a mm-hmm. set. Because in a classroom where you have everyone is quiet or you get sent out to do your preparation and you have what the time you need to do it, it's one thing. But when you're doing it on a set, they can be very bustly and very noisy and there can be, it can be hard to find a quiet corner to go and do your preparation. You may not have as much time as you would like to do it. So I think it's very important to rehearse these. However you, whatever your your preferred style of getting emotional before a take or before walking out on stage or doing a scene, whatever that is, you want to know how long it's going to take you on average. Of course, you can't know exactly, but how long it's going to take in order for you to become emotionally full. And you, I would recommend trying to 
practice enough that you get that time down as slow as you can. Because on a movie set, hopefully you'll have an idea of when they really seriously are going to start rolling and not just be saying, okay, we're going to go. And then you start preparing and they're like, oh no, we got to hold for something. And then you're like, oh man, I, and you, so, so you want to be peaking with your preparation when they say action, (laughs) which is a tough calculus to do. And so there are some actors who you don't see them preparing at all. And they are on their phone or they're chatting away and then they say action and then they're in the scene and they're, and they're full. And whether that's them faking it or whether that's them being so emotionally accessible in themselves that they can just drop into that, who knows? And honestly, who really cares? But it really is a question of rehearsing it, getting to know yourself, really getting to know what those things are that you really care about, that really move you. And practicing your fantasy or your preferred method of preparing enough so that you can drop in as quickly as possible. And in situations where it's not ideal, like on a busy, if you can prepare in a, in a city bus or walking down a busy sidewalk on Oxford street, and that's what, and that's when you are practicing your preparation, that would be, that's great practice for when you're on a set. Absolutely. I mean, class is a luxury. You can't teach people to be able to deliver on, on, on set. I mean, that comes from experience, but like you say, you can give them, um, enough to be able to have a good old swing at it, which is do practice with time limits, practice with doing it. Okay. Over 30 minutes or 20 minutes. So you really indulge in it and then strip it right down to 10 minutes and then five and then one minute and find those triggers that forces when I had to do that really forced me to, to find the triggers amongst all of the emotional preparation, imaginary story narrative and junk a lot of stuff that I didn't really need and get straight to the to the to the nitty gritty of stuff that really affected me. And um, you know, as Meisner refers to it as click quick as a flame. Mm-hmm. Um and that's a great exercise and a great piece of advice is learn to do it first and then learn to do it quick. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Not just quick but under difficult mm. circumstances, noisy. Uh, yeah. and, 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 you know, all of that, you know, where people are doing your makeup and you yeah. have to go internally, um, because you're up very soon for a really grief. Strip. I had, I had a scene where I had to come in and talk about how my son was murdered and I held his, him bleeding out in my hands and I had to get someone to do something because of this. And as I'm preparing, they were adjusting the microphone and adjusting the costume and adjusting everything. And I, and what I had to do was in addition to the fantasy that I was engaging in, I had to use them pulling my costume around and kind of getting in there and allow that to become part of my preparation where instead of letting it pull me out, it pulled me into the Mm -hmm. preparation that I was being manhandled and I was being roughly pulled about it. Well, they weren't being rough. They were, they were fine. But, but in terms of, in terms of the preparation that I had to, to, to engage in, I had to use them trying to get my costume straight in order to, to, not be pulled out because they were like, Hey, we got to roll. And even after they started rolling, I said, look, roll. And then give me 30 seconds before you say action so that I can really just kind of try to drop into this. Mm. And that felt like I was, um, that felt like I was asking a lot of them. I was a day player basically. And I said, please, this is, you know, give me, give me some time between role and action. And they said, of course, just let us know when you're ready to go. But you, but in that situation, you don't want to take a lot of time. You can't take five minutes to be prepared. You got to do it in 30 seconds or less or a minute at most, because everyone is standing around waiting for you. You know, I just wanted to offer also that something that Gary had touched upon, um, you know, there's always a conversation, there's always a parallel conversation when we talk about emotional preparation with the idea of effective memory or sense memory. And certainly there's a historical piece of how 
in particular Lee Strasberg, um, used this approach and then how Stella Adler and, and Sanford Meisner moved away from that. But the question comes up often about, you know, recalling some emotional experience that the actor has had in his life and bringing that to bear on the present scene. And I would say that you should remember that your imagination is limitless and circumstances change and meaning changes. And what meant a lot to you 10 years ago may have a completely different place in your life and in your heart now. And so what could have been a source of searing pain as a child may just be a, a point of a bittersweet memory for you now. And so the idea of going and using memories over and over again, it, it wears out over time, but your imagination is always available to you. And so even as you're doing work, as Gary describes, that you're, that you're really practicing becoming fluent in your own emotional life and your understanding of your emotional life so that you can play with it, you know, in a gentle way, you can experiment with it and you can find out what means something to you. It's also important to recognize that in the short term, what meant something to you at 9 a.m. on the set by 2 p.m. after lunch and the lights are bad and right. And it started raining and the star needs uh, a schedule change because of a PR tour. And, you know, suddenly your scenes would put off like by 2 PM, that emotional preparation may do zero for you. <laughs> and that's okay. So where are you now in this moment and what can you, can you get yourself into a state of relaxation so that you're really open to letting things come to you and letting your emotional life be, be, you know, in a receptive state. And, and certainly in the longer term, what meant something to you some time ago may not have any value for you now. So don't bang your head you know, on the wall with this idea that, but this thing was important to me. This was a defining event in my life and I should be able to call upon it when I see a scene that has a similar, you know, circumstance and I should be able to go straight to it and understand it and go into it full power. But that's unreasonable. So be gentle with yourself as a performer and understand, you know, the waters are changing every single day. You know, you may have a very gentle day today, moving through the world, feeling in sync with your environment, at peace with your decisions, happy in your relationships. And tomorrow you feel like you're at war with the world. And that's just how we're built. And so this tool, practicing this tool, part of that is also gaining an appreciation for all of the colors and experiences that, that you bring to bear to this moment of rehearsal or, or performance. And then, and then an act of release and faith in, in playing, playing with it without so much judgment and, and, and tension because that tension isn't going to get you where you need to go. The other argument for using imagination instead of something that you've actually experienced is that you can let go of your imagination. If, if it's a painful experience and that's a real thing that you're mm -hmm. dealing with, that's going to stay with you after you don't need mm -hmm. it anymore for your acting. And that maybe you'll be able to handle that and maybe that will be... And I'm just kind of digging into that old wound. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. know. Uh, so, so there's another argument for using your imagination that's wrapped around a, something that you really truly care about now, which is that if I'm killing my dog or my, you know, my, my, the dog, my dog is dying and I'm, that's what I'm using for my preparation, but he's not really dying or I don't even have a dog, but I just am imagining it. Then, then at the end of the day, when I don't need that preparation anymore, I get to not live out that circumstance, 
But if it's my real circumstance in my real life, I don't know. I can't get away from that. It's a very personal part of the work. And so in a sense, it's challenging to speak about it in broad terms. I almost wonder if we need to do another segment really about sort of the specifics about how we guide guide students through the relaxation and the sensory work and, and the daydreaming. But it, it, I think yeah. some of the important points are to recognize when you need it, what it is, what it isn't, and why it, why it's safe to work through your imagination and your senses, why it's going to bring out truthfulness in your behavior, and how important it is to launching you into a spontaneous experience of the scene that has life and that has meaning. Because when you bring the emotion into it, you're bringing meaning into your work. Cool. Well, we can certainly talk more about it, I'm sure. But if you guys have thoughts about your own way of getting yourself ready to go and take a take or how you get emotional or how you kick yourself in the ass or how you get revved up or whatever you want to put it, let us know. We're at Vagabond Actors on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. And uh, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear about your experiences or questions that you might have that this might have brought up or anything else that might be on your mind in terms of acting. We'd love to get into it. But now we wanted to move into our segment on things that we've experienced this week in terms of our watching something that we might want to clue other people into. So, Gary. Yes, I was, you know, I was kind of wondering... I've been working so hard this week and kind of been preoccupied with other stuff. I was like, compared to other weeks, I, they, I was I was struggling. I was going, what have I been doing? What have I? What can I offer uh, people out there to 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 see something that might add um, to their viewing or to, to something they've missed? Or and I, I didn't have anything to be honest with you until last night. And last night I began watching a documentary on Netflix called Tiger Man. And I don't know if you've heard of it. It's uh, Isn't it Tiger King. Or Tiger King, sorry, Tiger King. There, yeah. thank you. Oh. Um, and I've come a bit late to the to the party on this one, um, but I started watching it, and it's an eight episode documentary, I think. And I watched four straight off, four fifty minutes. Uh, oh no! Yeah, nearly three, nearly three and a half hours, or something like that, um, straight off because. Like another Netflix documentary, which I thought was absolutely wonderful, called Wild Wild Country, about that guru who ended up, um, Osho, who ended up in creating a crazy commune. Um, You you know, like with the best feature-length documentaries, you could not make it up. And with... Tiger King, and that was Wild Wild Country has been the best one I've seen for for for, a, for since I can remember. And Tiger King matches that in the sense that you could not make it up, and it is so wild. Uh, and I'm sorry, it is a celebration of what is most crazy about the United States of Kiss My Ass. <laughs> I can't, I can't, deal with it. I can't yeah. either. I'm 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 actually in awe of it because it is so mental this story and the characters are in it. And I'm always looking at things, even though it's a documentary, not a fiction, I'm always looking at it from a, you know, an acting perspective. And these characters are just, you just think, wow, the psychology behind these characters, these real life characters and the story. So uh, without giving anything away, just watch it. And, and hopefully your draw will drop with amazement at, how crazy it is you just could not make it up and i've heard now that actually they're making it into a tv series oh. they're making it up they're gonna ruin it i know i don't know they're going to ruin it and i've heard that nicholas cage has been mooted for the crazy mad tiger king character so we'll see but anyway that's my top tip Excellent. So, Tiger King from Gary, Andrea, what are you bringing to the table this week? Do you have something to top? Tiger oh my God, King? I have a Tiger King. Is oh the my God, a Zoom wedding. That's what I have this week. A Zoom wedding oh. uh, that covered like fifteen countries. I have nothing produced that I've seen that has moved me, um, but the Zoom wedding was was pretty fun. So. 
Why? People that you knew, or did yes. you Zoom crash it? <laughs> is there such a thing as Zoom crashing? Yeah, they had huge problems with that. Zoom did. Oh, that I do know about. I just don't know how to encrypted and wasn't secure. Oh, I guess I just but don't know how to do it, it. But I do know that they've had problems because we own some stock. Um, well, no, these are people that I know, and they had planned to marry, and so they married over Zoom this weekend, and that was probably the. Yeah, televised event that uh, that I found the most intriguing for so many reasons, and uh, so no, my advice is like get your loved ones in front of you if you can and connect with them because mm. Jesus, these are these are crazy times. So yeah, yeah, that's my that's my word on the street this week. Nice. You, Brian. So find a yeah, wedding. find a wedding and crash yeah. it. Uh, find a wedding and just <laughs> cra- yeah, wedding crashers twenty twenty. <laughs> clicking, be a completely different movie. What about you, Brian? Um, I started watching The Last Dance. Oh, on, I believe it's on Netflix as well. It might be on HBO, um, and it's about uh, the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan in particular, yes. and. There's a whole bunch in the in the documentary that is interesting and amazing to watch and the machinations and how they build the teams and and all of that but I think what's what's um, what's astounding for me uh, is just watching the drive mm-hmm. watching the drive to win and watching the drive to be the best that you can be and it's First of all, it's astounding to watch him do it, but just reflecting it back on myself, not that I'm comparing myself with Michael Jordan, but, you know, it it really shows you how much more you could be Mm -hmm. doing and how much more you can be investing in your career and investing in your uh, in your craft and, and, and spending the time and putting the effort in and going in to win all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an inspiration for me mm-hmm. to, 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 to do that more. Yeah. I saw some of that footage. It was very, it was very, um, emotional for him, wasn't it? To speak about the choices that he made about his approach to the, to the work yeah. and his commitment and what he would ask of his teammates and that that was really yeah. his choice to play the game a certain way. He played every yeah. game to yeah. win it. It wasn't any strategy. And it was like, no, we're going to win every game. And, and, and I think that that's, if you, if I bring that, the more you bring that attitude into your acting, mm-hmm. the more likely it is that you're going to succeed. Mm-hmm. If you approach each experience, each class, each rehearsal, each audition, each day of shooting, each performance, like you're going to really win. In in this context, it's a little bit weird, but you know what I mean, right? Where you're going to do the best that you can. You're going to knock it out of the park. You're going to commit fully to it. The likelihood that you are going to succeed is huge. And when you go, well, I'm going to, I don't need to rehearse today or I don't need to, I, I can look at my lines tomorrow. When you do that, the likelihood is less that you're going to succeed. And I, that's what I'm t- taking from it. So that is our initial podcast, at least on emotional preparation and what we've been doing this week. If you want to get in touch with me, you can get in touch with me at Brian Casp on Instagram and Twitter. And I have a Facebook page as well that you can uh, follow me on. And uh, what about you, Andrea? How can people get in touch with you? There's always smoke signals. And then there's Instagram. Yes. I'm on Instagram at Andrea Helene three and on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene. And I would always love to hear from our listeners. And Gary. Uh, yeah, I'm on uh, all social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Gary Condes, but best to get me on my website contact form, which is GaryCondes.com. 
Great. And just to reiterate, we really do appreciate having the listener feedback. Uh, We started this as a way to help people and help actors and to start a conversation with actors about their process and the challenges that they might be facing. So definitely don't be shy and do get in touch with us and and let us know what's going on because that's that's what we're doing this for we're doing it for for the actors out there so do get in touch we love to hear from you and we look forward to talking to you next week have a great night everyone thanks everyone thank you bye